Greetings and welcome to session five in this series on abounding in the good works of God. In session two, we talked about God's unconditional love. We pointed out a significant truth in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, where the scriptures say that a person cannot truly say that they love God unless they love their brother. In 1 John chapter 4, and verse 11, God is exhorting us to love one another. In this session, entitled, A Call for Unity in the Body of Christ, we focus on applying this verse in a practical way towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, it reads, So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. God admonishes us to love all people in the world, but we learn from this verse that above all else, we are especially to be good to our fellow members in the faith. Although we may disagree on certain issues, we are to treat them with kindness, consideration, thoughtfulness, and selfless love. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 is a very powerful verse. From whom the whole body, being fitted together and held together by every supporting ligament, with each individual part doing its proper function produces the growth of the body with the goal of building itself up in love. God's vision is that the body of Christ will work together with each part contributing towards the growth of the whole. He has equipped each of us with a unique function which is to be utilized to support and growth for the entire body of Christ. This is not me talking. This is what God says. And when he says the whole body, he means the whole body. And when he says every part, he means every part. And so the entire body is supposed to be working together according to what this verse says. The ministries that God has given to you and I have not been put here just so we can serve a small circle of Christians within our church or fellowship. God desires our ministries to be a blessing for everyone in the body of Christ worldwide. In practice, I think it is safe to say that many Christians are not currently carrying this out. Sadly, instead of choosing to work together and supporting one another, Many have gone in the opposite direction, choosing instead to fight and bicker over both doctrinal and practical issues. This division amongst Christians is nothing new. It was going on in the first century church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be made complete by having the same mind and by the same judgment. This verse is addressed to the brothers and sisters, meaning all men and women in the body of Christ. The word urge here means to strongly beseech. And the authority behind this urging is our Lord Jesus Christ. What God wants us to do is to have the same mind, the same judgment, and to speak the same thing, 
that there be no division. That is a very tall order, isn't it? And I will tell you right now that you and I cannot do this of our own ability and strength. The only way this is going to happen is if we choose to put our trust in God and allow Him to guide us and using His strength to help us to fulfill this request. Let's read further to discover what division he is talking about that needs to be addressed. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 11 and 12, For I have been informed about you, my brothers and sisters, by Chloe's followers, that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, that each one of you says, I am of Paul, but I of Apollos, but I of Cephas, but I of Christ. In today's world, I would translate this verse as saying, I go to such and such church, and my church has the best Christian leaders. They are great men, and they walk with God. And since you are not choosing to follow everything that my leadership teaches from the Bible, I'm going to choose to separate myself from you because, in my thinking, if you're not following everything that my leader is teaching, then you're likely headed down the wrong path. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 For we would not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but they themselves measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves with themselves are without understanding. One of the things that causes division is when we choose to compare what we are doing or what we are teaching from the Bible to what someone else is doing or teaching from the Bible. We look at ourselves as being the standard that everyone else needs to live up to. And if we see that they fall short of our standard, we just choose to discard them. God says that when we do that, we are without understanding. None of us are following a ministry that is so great and so perfect that we can use it as a standard from which to compare and judge other ministries by. Every ministry has flaws in it, including yours and including mine. Now back to 1 Corinthians. In verse 13, Has the Christ been divided up? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? God has ordained Jesus Christ as the head of the entire church, not the Pope, not the head of any denomination, only Jesus Christ. His authority is the only one that counts. The scriptures clearly teach that Jesus Christ is the only one head of the church. We read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. I was involved with a particular Christian ministry for 10 years. I got involved with them on a very deep level. I did everything they asked me to do and more. Then one day, I received a phone call. It happened to be on my birthday, but they didn't know that. They asked me a question. Who was I going to follow? The designated leader of their church, of their ministry, or a different man? They were asking me to choose between two former leaders of their ministry that had now split and gone opposite directions. 
My answer to that question was, neither one. I will follow Jesus Christ and no other man. That answer was not good enough for them, and I was immediately excommunicated from their church fellowship. I was no longer invited to participate in any of their church functions or use any of their materials. In their mind, there was only one person that all Christians were supposed to be taking directions from, and that person was the president that they had designated for their ministry. If you chose to follow anyone else, including Jesus Christ, you were headed down the wrong path. 1 Corinthians 11.3 tells us that the head of every man is Christ. And when God says every, he means every. You can also look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 and chapter 5 and verse 23 for additional verses to clarify that God has set up and designated one leader for the church, that being Jesus Christ. Now let's reread 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13. Has the Christ been divided up? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Has the Christ been divided up? No, Christ is a single person with a single mind. Was Paul crucified for you? No, Jesus Christ was the one that was crucified for us, right? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Well, you might have been baptized in his name, but where did the cleansing for sin come from? It didn't come from Paul. It came from the blood that Jesus Christ built on the cross. That's where the significance is. And in God's thinking, there should be no division in the body of Christ because he set up everything in all people who are saved under the same head, and that is Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you were called, with all humility and meekness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. What God is asking us to do in verse 3 is to keep the unity. And what we read here in verse 2 is the approach that we will need to follow in order to carry that out. First, we must be humble. The people being talked about in 2 Corinthians 10:12, who were comparing their ministry, who they thought was really great, against other ministries that they then put below them, that isn't humble thinking. That's proud and being boastful. We need to realize that all of us would still be dead in our sins without hope had it not been for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It wasn't because we were great. It was because of God's love and sending his son that we were rescued. Let's not act like we are more deserving of God's favor than anyone else. Next comes meekness. We are to be gentle, kind, and submissive to others. Instead of trying to dominate and control other Christians to do what we want them to do, we should keep quiet and listen to what they have to say and learn from them. We need to be open to realize that they have great and valuable lessons that they can teach us, as well as things that we can teach them. It's a mutual relationship between your ministry and other ministries. It's not one greater than the other. After that, we are told to be patient. 
bearing with one another in love. Perhaps you are right about a certain area of scripture, and they happen to have a wrong understanding of it. That could be the case. But instead of getting mad and shunning them for not having the same faith or insight into a particular subject in the Bible that you do, God asks us to be patient with them. Isn't that how we treat our children if you're a parent? When they do something wrong, do you shun them and send them away? No, you have to be patient and love them into growing to become men and women as adults. And it doesn't happen overnight. Neither do young Christians grow overnight. This is the foundation, what I've read here in verse 2. For achieving success when it comes to unifying ourselves with other Christians. We need to be humble, we need to be meek, and we need to be patient. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. Being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want to look at the word diligent here, the word keep here, and the three words of of the Spirit. We will start with diligent. To be diligent means to be steadfast and untiring, to give a really hard and contentious effort. So to keep the unity requires persistence and it requires focus. It's something that we need to take very seriously and it's something that we can't accomplish without hard work. That's what this word diligence means. Now, an important word here is keep. It doesn't say make unity. It says we are to keep unity, which implies that that unity already exists and it's something that we're just taking care of. In fact, this word keep comes from the Greek word tereo, T-E-R-E-O, and it means to guard and take care of. The unity we want to see happen amongst Christians already exists spiritually. It was formed when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and set him up as the head of the church. Our job is to work to bring into fruition something that God has already created. Finally, we have the words of the Spirit. In order to get saved and become a member of the body of Christ, Romans 10.9 tells us that we need to confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. Once we do that, we receive Holy Spirit inwardly. It is by way of His Spirit and its connection to the head, Jesus Christ, that unity is possible for the body of Christ. I was once taught that the only way Christians could come together in unity would be as if each person studied and rightly divided the scriptures as we are exhorted to do in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. It would be wonderful if every Christian could study the scriptures and come to the same conclusion that all other Christians who had studied those verses and sections and subjects came to. But honestly, when does that happen? The truth is that we are a long ways from seeing that happen, and Christians have all different ideas on the same subjects and same passages as far as what the study of Scripture is bringing unity. The opposite has really happened. We've chosen to split and go separate ways because we've disagreed on what we've studied in the Scriptures. Isn't that right? Fortunately, Unity is not something that man creates 
through the study of scriptures. It is something God already put together for us through Jesus Christ. If agreement on scripture is not what our unity is based on, then what exactly are we to focus on in order to maintain unity amongst each other? Well, one of the obvious things is our goal. And our goal is to reach people for salvation from our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is something we all, as Christians, hopefully do agree on, that we have the same goal. Now let's read in Ephesians chapter 4, and starting with verse 4, and we will see the basic truths that God wants us to be unified around. In verse 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. We are to agree that there is one body that is made up of all those whom God has saved by way of Jesus Christ. There is one spirit that each person receives inwardly when they receive salvation. We all have one hope, which is the anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ to gather us all home. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one Lord who is Jesus Christ. This one is huge. It eliminates all other men as our designated master. Right? We have one Lord. All of us are underneath his direction, guidance, whatever you want to refer to it as. He's the master, the head of the church. Then you have one faith. This is a translation from the Greek word pistis. It can be translated into trust or believing. We are to put our trust in God and not in man. That's a basic thing that we all need to realize. One baptism, our purification, our cleansing, does not occur by our own works, but rather it occurred on the cross when Jesus Christ died for our sins. Once and for all, through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, we were purified. That is the baptism that we all need to agree on. We are not made righteous by the works of men. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One God and Father of all. We are to acknowledge that our Father God is the God over all of creation. There are no other gods that we are to love, acknowledge, or serve. Only Yahweh. So what we've read here in verses 4 through 6, these are the sticking points of unity that we need to agree on and come together on. I don't know, and I'm not going to get into any other topics and allow us, in my mind, to separate ourselves because of disagreements. Let's focus on these basic truths and move the Word of God together. So with this established Let's talk about why unity among Christians is so important. A short while before Jesus would be arrested and crucified, he gave an important exhortation to his disciples that's recorded in John chapter 13, verses 33 through 35. Little children, I am with you only a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, so I now say to you also, where I go, you are not able to come. I am giving you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. 
By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Let's dwell on verse 35 for a moment. What greater goal can we have than to help those who are lost, the ones who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to understand who Jesus is? And yet, we fight and bicker with each other so much that when people living in the world look on us, they don't see Jesus and his love. Instead, what they're witnessing is another example of worldly hate and discord. The example we set is discouraging people from coming to Christ if we choose to fight and have division amongst ourselves as Christians. Instead, if we do as Jesus exhort and we choose to love one another, we set the right example and it makes it so much easier for those who do not know Christ to see his love and follow him. Isn't that wonderful? I've spent over 10 years coaching children in the game of basketball and soccer, which some of you, which many of you, would refer to as football in other countries. My primary goal in coaching these kids was not just to win games. My heart's desire was to build a solid foundation of learning from the sport that they can continue to draw upon regardless of what profession or career they might endeavor to get involved in in their lives as adults. One thing I always put great emphasis on is teamwork. As a coach, I felt a great responsibility to get every player involved in every game and to teach my players how to work together and so that each one can contribute, recognize the strengths of the other players, so that we could work together to success. I didn't teach this because I necessarily was really adamant about wanting to win games. I taught it because I knew it was a great lesson that they would need for the rest of their lives. But what I discovered is that it really works. When you have players that are gelled and are working together as a team, they can overcome odds. I know that there were games that we played that the team we were playing against had much more talent on their team than ours did, but we would win a lot of those games. And the reason we would win is that we would draw on the strengths of every player on our team, and that would give us the success. Passing the ball to the open player instead of being selfish and trying to take a shot when you're double teamed. Uh, How about setting a pick in basketball so that someone can get open? Or how about everyone doing their part, knowing their position on defense, and performing it so that as a whole, the defensive team is in sync and keeping the other team from scoring. Teamwork is a vital thing to success in sports. It also reaps great benefits in the business world. How much more will teamwork lead to success if we as Christians will choose to work together in order to reach people in the world who do not know Jesus Christ? Honestly, I don't know how far we can go, but I'm telling you, the ceiling is really high. If we will work together, I know absolutely that if we will work together, we can perform much more than any of us could do singly. It is a basic principle in sports. It is a basic principle in the business world. It is a basic principle that God has set up, and it does work. I have committed personally to working with all Christians, regardless of church affiliation. 
because Jesus Christ is Lord over every believer in the body of Christ, I believe they all deserve my respect, love, and attention. How about you? Maybe somebody in the body of Christ has hurt you. They've done something mean or evil towards you. I know this has happened. Well, because of that, you might have no desire to work with that individual or ministry. And that's a natural human response. But I want you to use that word endeavor that we talked about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 to overcome that adversity. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. It says, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and angry shouting and defaming speech, along with all malice. When we choose to remain anger with somebody because of how they have treated us in the past, that contributes towards us not being able to be effective in our ministry. It holds us back. We need to get rid of that anger, as this verse says. And verse 32 tells us how to get rid of anger. And it says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God has forgiven you in Christ. The words one another in this verse is specifically referring to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 how it says we're to be especially good to the household of faith? Well, part of that is forgiveness. And we need to especially forgive those in the household of faith. Maybe you don't think that they deserve your forgiveness. It is not the flesh in our fellow Christians that we are asked to love, but it is their inner spirit that God has given them through Christ Jesus. Is it not the same spirit that God has created within you? There will be no labels of Baptists, Methodists, Roman Catholics, Presbyterians in the new heaven and the new earth where we are eventually headed. Why not begin now to recognize the unity that God has created for us in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we are told not to wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not supposed to be getting in fights with people. Our true enemy is not them. Our true enemy is Satan. Let us endeavor to guard the unity, as Ephesians 4, 3 says, guard that unity that was created in us through Christ Jesus and work together to reach the lost people in this world who need to receive the same hope of Jesus Christ that we have. If we work together as a team, we will be able to accomplish so much more than if we work separately. In the next session, we will illustrate the unique abilities that God has blessed every individual within the body of Christ. Until then, remember that God loves you, and so do I.